Hey everybody! Hi guys! I'm Grace. And I'm Joy. And this is Murder by Murder, a history of the world as told in 225 murders. We're back! Hello! We are! We did take a week <laughs> off last week just because of like some personal stuff that we were dealing with. We were both just going through some stuff yep. and we really, really appreciate your patience with us and your understanding as yeah. we navigate our personal lives and also try to produce good content for you guys. We are both working full-time jobs as well as, you know, being college students and trying to have lives and stuff. So <laughs> it can get complicated and a little bit overwhelming sometimes. So we really appreciate you guys being patient with us. We do. Yeah, it's it's a it's wild over here. <laughs> it is for real. Oh my yeah. gosh. Anyways, um we don't have a ton of housekeeping. Uh, now that I think about it, we do have some new listeners. We do. We do. We would like to welcome our new listeners from France. Bonjour. Hello. Um, for those of you who don't know, I speak French, so I am like waiting for our friends episode because I want it to be perfect. I'm so excited. And I'm excited for you because you're excited. Yes. <laughs> and we also, I'll let you announce this one, Joy. Okay. And we also have a listener from Zambia. We do, which was actually our most recent episode was on Lusaka Strangler so, from Zambia, and that was a that was a tough episode for it was for both of us to get through. So I'm really glad that we you know got a listener out of that, and that somebody enjoyed, uh, hopefully enjoyed hearing yeah. about that that aspect of exactly. Um, their country is, you know, horrible as it yeah. is to hear about themselves. You know, representation is important. It's important to hear about, you know, pieces of your country represented, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. And I, I don't know, it just it meant a lot to see that we had somebody from a country that we actually covered yeah. who is listening to us. That, it, that made us really, really excited. It really did. And um, super... We want you guys to reach out to us. Absolutely. So. We haven't had anybody reach out to us yet, apart from that, uh, those few emails that we got a while back, but yep. we are still hoping to reach, to be able to hear from you guys. Yes. We'd love to be able to hear from you. It makes us super, yeah. super happy. Seriously, we want to hear from you guys, and we want to talk to you, so please reach out. Yeah. But enough rambling. We know why you're all here. You're here for murder, <laughs> and... We are here to provide it to you. <laughs> so we've been watching way too much Traders. I don't know if you guys have that show. It's, it's so good. Yeah, it's really it's oh. highly recommend. Yeah. We had a grand old time watching it. Oh yeah. Joy in particular is obsessed. Yeah. I myself enjoyed the UK version the best. Yeah, the UK show. version was good. Mostly because the Faithfuls won instead of the Traitors. Yeah, and the I, only time it's happened in Traitor history. It's true. I love to see it. I love to yeah. see it. It was it was a fun one to watch. Yep. But all three of them are great. Exactly. You UK, should go watch Australia, yep. America's version. Yep. So. It's lots this of is fun. not sponsored. It's not. Traitors, just... please sponsor us. Please. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? That'd be so nice. Be so cool. We could wear green cloaks while we record. Oh my gosh, yes. That's the dream. It is the dream. You're right. Sorry, we were just, we were fantasizing for a second. Okay, let's get back to it. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
trigger warning, this episode contains murder. Alright, so just like cut and dry? Yep, there's nothing. nothing graphic. I mean, I didn't really want to do anything crazy for this episode just because last episode was yeah. so graphic and intense and I tried so hard like not to be graphic and intense but even then like it was was just a lot and so you know it's it's, a hard case it's a tough case it was a really tough case and so you know that's not to say that this victim's life is worth any less than than those lives by not you know describing anything in any more graphic detail but um you know this I just I just happened to choose a case that objectively was not as graphic and so right. our victim dies by gunshot and if that is triggering to you in any way shape or form we hope to see you again next week all right but let's get into it all right so today we are going to be talking about kuwait cool so remind me where that is again. so kuwait is on the <laughs> arabian peninsula okay it's in the northwestern corner of the persian gulf Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So it's, like, right in between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iraq. Okay, I know where it is now. Yeah, I was like, I know I've heard of it before, yes. but I just could not remember where it was. Yes, it is also in the driest, probably deadliest desert on Earth. Oh. Mm-hmm. Cool. It does have a Kuwait Bay, which is, like, a harbor on the Persian Gulf, and that is pretty, pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Um but it is is an incredibly dry country. Um, It has massive oil reserves on it, which does make it one of the world's richest countries per capita in the entire world. Wow. Um, And it has one of the biggest wealth funds, it's one of the least indebted countries, and it has a really strong banking system. So it is known as well for housing like overseas banking accounts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, about 75% of the population is Muslim, um, and all, and that includes almost all of the Kuwaiti citizens. Okay. It, it's generally a very conservative society, and Islam is a very pervasive influence, and that is relevant to the subject that we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Um, family ties, following tradition, that's really important in Kuwaiti society. As well as the idea that it is un-Kuwaiti for a man to hurt a woman. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. We we do love that. I mean, I feel like that should just be unhuman for Uh anyone to hurt anyone. But that is a specific value that is held. That is un-Kuwaiti for a man to hurt a woman. I love that. Um, That's something I can get behind. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as, you know, two single women living alone, so. (laughs) Um, Kuwait is uh, generally a safe country. It does have some unexploded weapons, including landmines, that are just around. Oh! So... If you go, stay on, like, well-traveled roads and don't pick up any, like, strange objects that you see on beaches. This, these are uh, weapons and military-grade items that are left over from battles that took place on the Kuwait beaches and things like that. Um, Fun. And traveling near the Iraqi and Saudi Arabian borders is illegal, and you should not do it unless you have explicit authorization from the Kuwaiti government. Good to know. 
Kuwait is uh, an important partner uh, with the United States uh, in counterterrorism efforts. Uh, it gives uh, diplomatic and intelligence assistance, and it does finance. Um, it, it it supports efforts to block financing of terrorist groups. Okay. Um, they speak Arabic officially in Kuwait, but English is widely spoken. Uh, Kuwait is known to be a very friendly place. There's a lot of clubs and societies. Um, there's the British Lady Society and the American Women's League. Both of them have, like, these activities. Um, and they raise a lot of money for overseas and local charities. Oh, cool. And some fun facts about Kuwait is that Kuwait did not have any settlements until the 18th century. Wow. Uh, it was the first country in the Persian Gulf to create a parliament and a constitution, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, camel racing was introduced to the country <laughs> in 2006 and remains popular to this day. <laughs> you should look it up on YouTube. It's worth, it's worth five minutes of your time. Oh, 100%. We're yep. gonna watch that after this. Oh, yeah. Cause... And crossing your legs is considered to be offensive in the country of Kuwait. Oh, you can't go there then. I can't. I, <laughs> as a bisexual person, I have an inability to, how you say, sit normally. <laughs> so I, yeah, can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it was like, you can't go there now. <laughs> yep. So that's just some general background on Kuwait. Honestly, it's it's a beautiful country. Um, it's, it's larger than the state of Connecticut, but... It's okay. entirely, like, flat desert. Mm. Are they all flat or... <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Are they all flat earthers, then? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was trying to make a joke, but then the gibberish was more funny than the joke. Yep. <laughs> anyway, continue. Yep. So we'll post some pictures of Kuwait Hooray. on our social media. Um, but it's like, it's very pretty in just like a, in like a light desert kind of way. Yeah. Um, especially at night. It has some really cool, Ooh. like, light, um, light fixtures and light art that they do on their buildings. Ooh. Um, when the sun goes down, and that's really, really cool. I love that about the night, that we can just do that. Uh-huh. I think it's so cool. Technology is awesome. Seriously. It is. So all of this brings us to the person that we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about Hidayah Sultan al-Salam. She was born in Shueka, Kuwait, to the ruling family at the time. Oh. And as a child, she attended the private Quranic school for girls of okay. um, Matuya Salima and the Matuya Miriam Alaskar until 1946. We don't know exactly when she was born. Okay. Um, but her education did come to an end when she was married at the age of 15. Uh, uh, oh. Yes. She was very young when she got married, and at the time, this was pretty common. You also yeah. have to understand that it was 1946. Oh, yeah. No, This was, you know, in a Middle Eastern country. I mean, girls in America were still getting married really, really young. And that's yeah. not to say that Kuwait was underdeveloped by any means, oh, but no. it's, it was it was a cultural thing, it was a religious yeah. thing, and so yes, she was married by the age of 15. Alright. Yeah, it just 
wasn't something I had been thinking about, mm-hmm. so I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it caught me off guard. Yeah. So we don't know a ton about like her early life. Um, okay. Most of what we know about her starts around the year 1961, where she probably would have been in her early 40s, give or take. Okay. Um, but we do know that she began her career in the workforce as a teacher. She was the sixth woman to become a teacher in Kuwait, period. So, snaps. Good for her. I love that. That's awesome. And while she was a teacher, she started writing articles for Egyptian and Lebanese newspapers. Ooh, cool. And she eventually got noticed for her work. And in 1961, she became a journalist in Kuwait. Ooh, cool. So, in 1964, she was a founding member of the Kuwaiti Literary League. And she published five nonfiction books while working as a journalist. Impressive. Yep. It's it's hard to write a book. So oh, yeah. That's really impressive. Oh, yeah. Not all of us can be Brandon Sanderson. Unfortunately. Yeah. If you, if you know who that is, listeners, we can be friends. Hit us up. Mm-hmm. Please do. So two of her books titled The Arabs and Women in the Quran um, were pretty popular. And in 1970, she bought the weekly magazine Al Majalis, and she became its publisher and the editor in chief as a woman nice. in 1970. That's awesome. This was a big deal. Yeah. She nice. also became the owner of Arab Sport. All right. Mm-hmm. And in 1972, she became part of the second wave of Kuwaiti female writers. Um, and she published a short story called Karif Bila Matar, which, when translated, is uh, equivalent to An Autumn Without Rain. Ooh, cool. She also began to publish an underground newsletter called Children and Women of Kuwait during the occupation of Kuwait by Iraq from 1990 to 1991. Ooh. And she was a member of the Kuwaiti Journalists Association, and she served on its board as a very prominent member. Nice. She knew how to get what she wanted. Oh, yeah. She was a queen. She actually reminds me of our Tunisia episode. Um, oh, yeah. Habiba Amishka. Yeah, Who her. was just, like, this queen who just did oh, yeah. all the things. She and did. was just so cool. If you haven't listened to it, please go listen you to it. You should go and listen to our it's... Tunisia episode. And that one hasn't gotten enough love, in my opinion, because oh, Habiba is so cool. It is. Don't and do it, was... it for us. Do it for Habiba. Yeah. And it was such a fun episode over Oh, we loved recording that episode. We had a grand old time. Oh, yeah. So, go check it out. Go check it out. Anyways, so, for a little bit of context, the Constitution of Kuwait promised women equality in 1961. Okay. But women were not given, how do you say, rights until 1999. And... That's a big gap, guys. Yep. And the Tribal Fundamentalist Alliance opposed this. And this was a reactionary group that basically opposed women's rights. I don't really know how else to say it. (laughs) Um, And Hidaya was, she campaigned for women's rights and women's suffrage in Kuwait. And she was 
a very prominent leader in publishing mm-hmm. as a woman. So, um, makes sense. <laughs> women uh, media professionals surveyed by the Beirut based Institute for Women's Studies in the Arab World um, basically came to the conclusion that editorial decisions in media were made by men overall. Uh-huh. Even though there were women who were starting to take more seats at the table, women were starting to call the shots, they were starting to have their names out there more on more and more articles and in more and more books. Many of the decisions when it came to media were still ultimately made by men. Yeah, unfortunately. So, you know, women were occupying more spots, but they were all employed at the same level, right? Yeah. And Hidaya, like played this really important role in women emerging in Kuwaiti society in an era where, like, publishing was in a new phase of development, right? Like, magazine publishing was becoming more mainstream. Newspapers are kind of falling behind, right? There's a new form of media that's taking over, and she was a big part of that. Yeah. So that was a big deal, and that was part of what made her so problematic to a couple people. Yeah. So, on March 20th, 2001, she was being driven to the Women and Culture Conference that was being hosted by the Kuwaiti Women's Association. It was being held in Kuwait City to declare Kuwait City as the capital of Arab culture for the year. Alright. And in the latest edition of Almajales, which she owned, um, Hidaya had published an open letter that said that she was being harassed by the police and that she feared for her life. Somewhere along the way, she was stopped at a traffic stop when uh, an unidentified man who was later identified as Lieutenant Colonel Khalid Nika al-Azmi, got out of his vehicle and shot her six times. Wow. Now, he was a high-ranking police officer, and he was wearing his long, like, traditional robe at the time of the shooting. And his reason that he killed her was because she was, quote-unquote, attacking the women of the Al-Awazim tribe and calling them women with no honor. Men. So, originally, four people were initially investigated for the murder. Okay. There were a lot of different motives, right? A lot of people believe that the murder was political, you know, she had written so many different articles over the course of her careers about political corruption, financial corruption, schemes, all sorts of stuff, right? And she would make some enemies mm -hmm. in that. And there was a couple that had stood out, right? So she had written an article about the office in the Gulf Emirate um, embezzling money and not using funds appropriately, right? Wow. But her lawyer believed that it was way too early to assume that Kidaya was killed for political reasons. There was another motive which revolved around some 
unknown financial problems and disputes with her employees, right? There were some issues going on within her companies that she wasn't able to fully pay her employees, um, or there were some disputes over money. So that investigation was what actually turned up the real motive for the crime. So one year before, Hidayah had published an article that had criticized uh, Lieutenant Colonel Khalid Nika al-Azami uh, tribe, the al-Azawan, the al-Awazem tribe, excuse me. Okay. So, in the article, she had talked about the dancers in the tribe. So, the dancers were all women that al-Salam's family had hired, and the article basically described all of the women as, quote, all temptation and sexual suggestion. Many members, including the lieutenant colonel, took offense to this because Hidayah had talked about the tribe living outside Kuwait walls, right? Uh So the members of the tribe basically believed that Hidayah was implying that they were not real Kuwait people. Mm. Okay. I see where the confusion happened. Mm -hmm. So Hidayah did eventually explain that that was not what she meant, and the lieutenant colonel was basically thought to have killed Hidayah to protect the honor of his tribe. Okay. So, at first, uh, he claimed innocence, but he did later admit that he was angry that she had criticized the members of his tribe in her article. Um... He did recant that confession and did suggest later that the police had forced it. But um, in February 2002, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Khalid al-Azmi was convicted by a criminal court for the murder of Hidayah Sultan al-Salam and was sentenced to death by hanging, which was upheld after an appeal. Alright. But the sentence was later commuted to life in prison by a Kuwaiti's court of cassation. Okay. And um, in November of 2002, there was a Kuwaiti source that said that there was speculation that Al-Azami, Al-Azmi may have killed Al-Salem because of a personal dispute between the two that mm-hmm. involved Al-Azmi's sister. There is no proof to back that up, though. We don't really know anything yeah. about that. The only thing that I found on that was uh, that one sentence, which is what I just said. Okay. So, thought I'd mention it, but I don't really have anything else about it. Okay. Gotcha. And it is widely accepted that he killed her to, quote-unquote, protect the honor of his tribe. Okay. Yeah, I can see where he's coming from. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously that doesn't excuse, like, what he did. not at all. But, yeah. So, but, of course, this brings up a really important issue, right? Because Hidayah Sultan al-Salam was the first journalist killed in Kuwait, ever. Wow. Which is why she's so important. Gotcha. But she was one of 51 journalists killed on the job in 2001. Wow. That's a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. The rate of professional journalists in the media being attacked, harassed, killed, has only gone up in the previous, in, like, following years, right? Yeah. Because she wrote articles primarily about corruption in Kuwait. Eighty percent of her most of her articles of before her murder were about corruption, according to the Kuwait News Agency. Yeah. 
And since her murder, fundamentalist tribe alliances have banned the publication of books written by two of her peers, Alia Shuaim and Leila Al Uthman. Wow. That's that's insane. So the CMFR defines media killings as quote, the murder of journalists and media workers. So anyone who works regularly in media gotcha. and any aspect of media, regardless of like how they work in it, right? So like as a cameraman, as a writer, as an active in front of the camera journalist. Um, and that's without any like, you know, categorizing on targeted killings right. in their reports. And that's according to the CMFR. Okay. So 57 journalists were killed worldwide in 2022. 57? 57. 57. Okay. And... That's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, just because journalism isn't what you would call a quote-unquote dangerous profession doesn't mean that there are not risks for, right. you know, going into certain aspects of the industry, right? Like, journalists are killed for covering corruption, just like Hidaya was, um, particularly when it comes to covering local politics. And that means local journalists, like Hidaya, are incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Right? They don't have the protections that they need when it comes to working for a big national media outlet, like Fox News or C CNN or CBS, right? Like, right. Things, covering things like protests can be fatal for local journalists. Yeah. Um, there was an interview between Lisa Dujardin and Jody Ginsburg, and Lisa Dujardin asked, have you been able to tell if the killing of journalists is in fact stifling coverage, stifling the ability of information to get out? To which Jody Ginsburg responded, absolutely. I mean, the reason people go after journalists is because they want to silence and they want to stop the story getting out. And that's exactly what happens. It's a deterrent. It stops other journalists from reporting on the issue. In some areas, we have essentially complete information. Black holes in places like Mexico, where people cannot talk about the violence and corruption going on in their local areas. That's incredibly dangerous for ordinary people who rely on that kind of information and that kind of reporting from their journalists. Yeah. Now, you and I, who live in America, don't understand what that's like because we always have access to yeah. news, right? But sure. in 2022, a total of 10 female journalists were killed worldwide. So 57, 10 of those 57 were women. And that's the highest number since 2017, right? So yeah. w even though there were more male journalists killed, women are much more likely to experience online and sexual harassment, and they're targeted much more frequently when it comes to that. Yeah. So death threats, rape threats, harassment of all kinds. So what do we do, right? How do we reduce this? We need to give local journalists access to the protection and the equipment that they need to get information out safely. This means that they need things like safety equipment, right? Bulletproof vests, press jackets. They need other equipment that like gives them additional protection, right? Maybe yeah. if they're going into a really hostile environment, they need weapons. 
mm-hmm. that they can use to act in their own defense. Yeah. They need legal assistance, right? They need the funds to fight for themselves and for their for their pieces in court, right? Yeah. Protecting journalists should not be a concern just for journalists. It should be a concern for all of us, right? Yeah. Because we all rely on journalists. 100%. To just get access to our most basic information, right? It is it is so important to us when it comes to advancing our most basic human rights, right? The power of the media is protected in the First Amendment, but if we don't even have access to the media, then there is nothing to protect. Yeah. We have to protect the people who give us access to the media so long as they are, you know, getting us that media and that information responsibly and ethically. Right. But especially people like Hidayah Sultan al-Salem, right? They remind us the importance of local journalism, of why it's so important to have access to this information, of, you know, how at risk these people are and how just by going out and doing what they do, living where they live, they put their lives at risk because they made the wrong people upset. Anyways, that concludes the really sad and really unnecessary assassination of Hidayah al-Sultan al-Salem. It's sad. It's sad what, like, the journalists go through and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really, really unfortunate. And, you know, the fact that this is even a discussion that we have to have just shows how much of a problem it is. Yeah, exactly. Um... Okay, I guess if uh, we don't have anything else to say, then, um, yeah. I, I don't really have anything. Okay. It's just, it's, I feel like it's all been said. Yeah. I don't feel like I have much, like, that there's anything I can really add. So. Yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. But in any case, Hidayah um, Sultan al-Salem, we appreciate you and all of the work that you did. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Khalid Al-Azim, um, Rotten Hill. Yeah. Hope you're in... Is, is he dead now? Or is uh, he that's serving? a great question, actually. Because, like, that's my question. Is like, is he still serving, or did he die? Like, like most of the other murderers that we've talked about. It looks like he is still alive and okay. still serving his sentence. Good. So finally, yeah, justice, justice. We are happy. Woohoo! If I'm wrong, please let me know. I just can't find him. His <laughs> records aren't anywhere. So yeah. I'm but, gonna assume that he is still alive and still serving his sentence. Cool. Sounds good. So to me. that's a yay for me because I love it when they get to just live the rest of their life in misery. Yes. And it's our first one. It is! It's the first one! First one that actually, like, got to suffer the consequences of their actions. Yep. Episode 12. We love that for us. <laughs> it took us this, it took us a long time, guys. Uh-huh. Ugh. Makes me worried about the, all the others that we're gonna have to do. Yeah, we only have, like, 400 more countries to go, guys. We got this. <laughs> we're gonna be here for a while. Yep. Hope you're along for the ride. Yup. Because it's gonna be a wild one. It is going to be a wild one, but... In any case, 
we appreciate all of you, everything that you do to support us. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Murder by Murder Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, also at Murder by Murder Podcast. Or you can reach us to uh, reach that reach out to us <laughs> by email uh, at Murder by Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. We hope you keep listening. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.